Aquarian Schultz, presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. Want your voice to be heard? Dial us up now at 239-1260. This is Aquarian Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. Hi there, what's happening? It is a Thursday that kind of feels like a Wednesday. But in some respects, for me, feels like a Friday, Derek. So it's kind of all over the map, right? You've got, what, like a three-and-a-half-day work week because you're off to Detroit tomorrow. That's right. Well, three-and-a-quarter, a, and I guess, because eh, I'm thinking I'm going to have to bail early a little. Traffic's supposed to be bad. Uh, it needs to start at 645, so you'll get a 15-minute head start. Yeah, okay. Well, we might rerun an interview or something, right? No, then we are not planning to do that. <laughs> We will be live until 645, well, and then you can depart just so you for can. your trip to Detroit. Uh, how are you? My name is Jake Quarry. That voice you hear is that of Derek Schultz. It is the incredibly creatively and appropriately named, now charitably award-winning Quarry and Schultz show on Fox Sports 97.5. Good show lined up. Joe Sheehan of the Joe Sheehan Newsletter joins us coming up about 30 minutes from now, talking a little Major League Baseball, including, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, Derek, the Nets and how many more Nets we might see in Major League Baseball after last night's incident. Yeah, you wonder if we've finally reached the tipping point now right. for that. Well, what's interesting, and I'll get into this more, but um, have you been to a game since they put the extended nets up? Yeah. You don't even notice them. No, I know. There's no reason not to put them up, The, right? the best seats for most people are sitting behind home plate, and there's a net behind home plate. I, I, I sat this year at the Dodger game back in April. We were along the first baseline about 18, 20 rows back, something like that. And we were you know, so far enough behind the net that you can see like the totality of the net. You don't even notice it's there. It's really weird. It's almost like it's invisible. Does not impact your viewpoint of the game at all. Uh, but the incident last night, Cubs and Astros, right, in Houston. And Albert Almora Jr. hit a line drive that hit a young girl, and hopefully she's going to be okay. I don't know that they've updated the situation, but he was very visibly upset and emotional over it. Clyde Lee, who was the news anchor at Channel 6 from 1976 until 2001, a quarter century, and the golden era, I believe, of television in Indianapolis and just in general, local news, you know, your local late news, etc. Tonight, Channel 6 celebrates, Derek, its 70th year on the air. It began as WFBM back in 1949, now in its 70th year on the air, and they have a two-hour, I think it's a two-hour special tonight. might be an hour, but it starts at 7 o'clock. Clyde Lee and Dion Willis are going to anchor it, and it is a retrospective from Channel 6 of the news stories they've covered, different footage. They've had a lot of fun in the last couple of weeks. I've had fun turning over every night at 11 o'clock and watching. They're replaying old stories from, you know, the 80s and the 90s. So Clyde Lee's going to join us at 4 o'clock today. Not only, Derek, was he a news anchor, he also was a crewman for like seven different Indy 500 IndyCar teams. Wow. Yeah. So a good chunk of tonight's look back on 70 years of classic moments will probably be a lot of Jay Query's sports packages. That's right. From the Jim yeah. Mora Sr. era. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't think there's anybody there that even knows I work there. Uh, Adam Sandler tickets to give away. We'll do that at 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. It actually be fitting for 420, but it's 425 we're doing that, right? I don't know, man. Is that a Adam M. Sandler's not necessarily a stoner thing, right? I don't know if he is, but I mean, in the song, in his Hanukkah song, he mentions it, right? Yeah. Are, are we even to the point now in 2019 where there are stoner things? It's become so decriminalized right. and normalized that 
Who cares, right? Yeah, I don't I care. That. Uh, we have Tamika Catchings at 435. Greatest female basketball player possibly ever to play, right? She's up there. She's up there, top 10. And you always mention, Jake, along with Peyton Manning, the greatest product of this city, at least as a – I know she's not from here, but as a professional. The best athlete within her sport to have played professionally in Indianapolis. Now, if you had to list the greatest women's basketball players of all time, what's your list? Uh, Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Diana Taurasi. You're missing a big Tamika one there, right? Catchings. Cheryl Miller. Cheryl Miller, Lauren Jackson. Uh, I mean that Tamika's right there, right? Yeah, she's she's in that mix. Cheryl Swoops, pretty good. Lisa Leslie, pretty good. Cheryl Miller, I mean, and uh, Cheryl Miller, very good. Yeah, Tamika Catchings is one of only ten women to win a college basketball national championship, a gold medal, and a professional championship. She has I like believe. fourteen gold medals. She has, right? Yeah, she has six, counting the the world championship. She's got four from the Olympics alone. She That's was four amazing. for four. And then she was the league MVP, the league finals MVP, the five-time defensive player of the year, and a 12-time All-NBA team selection. Jeff Rabjohnspeaks.com joins us at 517, right, Derek, talking IU? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the three returnees, Durham, Green, and Smith, also about Romeo Langford's stock. And Rabbi had some interesting stuff this week about Indiana's got two open slots, and we're coming off a decade of Tom Crean where those slots were always full. In fact, slots that didn't even exist were filled up by Crean and his staff. And it appears that Archie Miller may be taking a completely different approach to that. And just maybe, I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen, but maybe rolling with one or two of those spots open for next year. Yeah, that's unusual, right? Is that? Let me ask you, Derek. I guess that, Jay Wright has done that at, at Villanova. Is that... I guess we'll ask Rad John's this, but is that cause for concern or is that by design somewhat? Or is that a sign of, hey, they're not getting players they were intending to get? Or is it that Archie Miller is saying, you know what? We have a a standard of what players we want to get, and if we don't get those players, we're not just going to fill it to fill it. We will carry it over to next year. Yeah, and maybe you just want it as a flexibility thing so you're not worried about oversigning you know I, I don't know Jeff can speak to that far better than I can so we'll see what the actual motivation is it'll be an interesting conversation I do you think Derek when you think of Archie Miller is his seat like is it pink is it light red is it red like how hot is it is it you know is it blue because it's not even hot at all? What I don't think they have it? to do anything crazy this year, like get to a Final Four or something ridiculous. But I, I, this is a critical year for them to do something, for them to make the tournament. <laughs> I mean, show some forward progress for the program. So I don't think he would get gassed out if they had a year like last year, this year. But then year four would be a make-or-break year. I don't know, Jake. I say that if things really went south, like if Indiana just crumbled next year and had a, something ridiculous like a losing record, could he get canned? Yeah, sure he could. His contract is it, – it's going to be a tough out to terminate him early, even for a, a place like Indiana who gets a lot of donor money. I kind of get the impression that – not get the impression, I do feel 
as a as a media person, whatever you want to call it. Not that I have any say in it, but um, Archie Miller, Fred Glass is attached at the hip of Archie Miller, and that's why I think that Archie Miller, you know, Fred Glass is not going to quickly pull the trigger on him because that's an indictment on Fred Glass, right? Yeah, they could be. They could both be out, I guess, at the same time. If we're to assume that hypothetically, if it were to end that way, where Archie Miller gets fired after year three or year four, I think you'd have to assume the glass would also be out. Did you watch the Stanley Cup final last night? No, I didn't. I saw it went into overtime and that the Blues won, so they were playing Gloria in all the bars and eating T-Ravs last night. I was at Drake's, and I sat next to two guys, one from Boston, one from St. Louis. Nice. Uh, one had on a Bruins sweater, the other had on a Blues sweater. I told the guy from St. Louis I thought the Gloria thing was dumb. He got really offended. Oh, I bet. Nice guys, though. And then I was going to go home and watch the game, but instead, uh, Steve the Dennis over in Avon, uh, he and I got into a screaming political match for three hours on the air or on the phone. We had a political debate for three How hours. How many friends do you have that you get into screaming political debates with on the phone? Because I know of at least three. Three. Oh, we got Texans Mark. We got Steve the Dennis. Who's the third? Oh, I guess I know of at least two. Yeah. But it was good. It was a good conversation. He got he got upset with me at one point. I think I hurt his feelings. But that was it was cool. He he hurt he got after me too. We got personal, Derek. We threw the gloves off. And then I told him I'd get him a boulevard in Detroit this weekend or tomorrow when I'm up at Windsor with Dave first and we'll you know, it'll all be good. We go to Fozzie, the the Cuban cigar tobacconist in Windsor. First and I are going tomorrow afternoon. Tradition. And they let you bring those back now, don't they? They do. Yeah, they didn't now, used they, to. They didn't one year and they tossed my car and they we were detained. Wow. That's a true story. I only got my car searched one time. Actually, no, that's not true. I got my car searched twice. Uh, but one of them was at Fort Bragg. The night after the, if you want to call it a war, I guess it is. It's still basically going, right? The tentacles of it have reached past where it originally started. The night that we started bombing um, Iraq. Yep. So 2000 and whatever that was, two, three. We were going to spring break, and my buddy Blake was a Green Beret at Fort Bragg. So we drove from Bloomington to Fort Bragg to pick him up, and there's a checkpoint when you're entering the base, and they had like four guys search everything in the car. Yeah, no uh, thanks, You know, man. rip up the floor mats, uh, look in the wheel wells, d- do the whole thing. And then I got it searched one time. Uh, I was driving up I-95, also from spring break. This was a couple of years later. I drove from Fort Lauderdale to Connecticut, which was awful. I don't recommend doing that ever. And I got pulled over in South Carolina doing 58 and a 55. And they searched my car because they had problems with people running drugs up to New York and Connecticut, and I had Connecticut plates. So there was no probable cause at all, just the fact that I had Connecticut plates. And he pulled me over, and he's like, can I search the car? And I said, there's a beach towel and a half handle of Captain Morgan. So you can go ahead and do what you want. I'm 21. I'm allowed to have it. Got a half a pack of cigarettes in the center console if you want to search those. What kind? Camel lights. Okay. I was past menthols at that point. Mm-hmm. And was he cool or was he? No, total. It, you know, he was awful. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I had nothing, I guess. To, uh, I, I don't know. I was kind of naive. I'm 21. I'd only been pulled over for speeding before. I'd never get gotten asked to get out of the car. So I just, I did it and whatever. Yeah, he actually gave me a warning, though, a speeding warning. Well, you're going 58 to 55. There were semis that were passing me because I was just cruising along. It was, uh, 
I knew that it was like a 15-hour drive, so there was no point in me trying to do like 75 miles an hour or anything like that. I was like, I'm just going to set it in 58 and just listen to fish, smoke a couple of camels, and just make my way up the East Coast. Fair enough. Exciting life you used to lead in your 20s, Derek. I was a bit of a bad boy, Jake. Getting pulled over. Uh, game one tonight, it all begins, right? Not the Stanley Cup final, but the NBA final, Yeah, correct? finally. And uh, DeMarcus Cousins is going to play. Well, he's active for tonight. I'm assuming he's going to play. So coming back from a torn quad. And the series starts in Toronto, which will be weird. It'll be weird for the Warriors to not have home court. If I'm not mistaken, that never happened in any of their really? other finals, right? Well, wait a minute. They always had home court against Cleveland. How did they not have the home court? Were they not the one in the West? Uh, n- no, they... Um, Houston was the one in the West, weren't they? No, Houston was in the 4-5 game. Oh, that's right. Okay, so so who was... They were the one in the West. Well, Toronto's not the one in the East, right? Uh, Toronto... <laughs> oh, my God, I got it. Was it Milwaukee the one in the East? Milwaukee was the one, yeah. yeah so how does Milwaukee the two in the East court. get home court advantage over the one of the West? They, did they have a better record than the Warriors? You want me to look? Sure. You know what I figured out yesterday, Derek, with your trivia question? The six teams that have not been to the NBA Finals, five of them are in the West. Really? Isn't Charlotte the only franchise in the East that has never been to a Finals? Now that Toronto has made it? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Toronto was 58-24 and this season. And the Golden State Warriors were 57 and 25. So it goes by yeah, overall, overall record. record. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I would have thought it goes by seed. I, I am interested, though. A lot of people think this is going to be a series, and I don't know. Kawhi Leonard is playing at an insane level, and I'm not trying to totally undercut Toronto, but, you know, this was a team that was life and death with the Sixers, and now suddenly they're going to be super uber competitive and maybe have a chance to win a series against Golden State. Uh, hey, Jake, tell Derek cops usually pull over backward hat visor, upside down D bag guy when he's speeding <laughs> in his lowered Honda Civic with the stupid I, exhaust. Pipe. I definitely had that rocking. I didn't soup up my car, though. I didn't have, like, the Fast and the Furious early 2000s Civic. I just had I had a regular Civic. It had a VTEC standard in it, which was pretty good. It kicked a little bit. VTEC um, standard. But it didn't have, like, you know, like, dual exhaust and a big ridiculous Did spoiler. Neon underneath? <laughs> no, nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. You want to talk a little finals next? Break yeah. it down a little bit? Let's do that. It'll be nice to see some basketball back on the television tonight. And your calls as well, 239-1260, just getting started on a sunny Thursday. It is Quarry and Schultz, Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. Quarry and Schultz, presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. They'd make the best NBA Jam team ever. You are listening to Quarry and Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5. Welcome back to the show. Raptors get underway in the NBA Finals tonight from Toronto, 9 o'clock tip. Late enough for my dad, undoubtedly, to complain about it. By the way, Jake, can you imagine, can you imagine like 10 years ago, you go into a time machine right now, you go back to May 30th of 2009, Elio Castroneves has just won his third Indy 500, and I walk up to you and say, hey, I'm Schultz from the future. 
you hitched your wagon to me on a very successful sports radio show that took off like a rocket ship, Quarry yeah. and Schultz, and you okay. actually remained employed for more than like two and a half years, which is a record for you. Right. At that point in 2009, I'd say, hooray, at least I have a job. But also, in the NBA Finals in 2019, the Golden State Warriors will be playing the Toronto Raptors. You'd be like, what? You're crazy. You're drunk. You're high. It's so weird now to think about where the Warriors have been here lately, and even the Raptors to a much lesser extent. This is their first NBA Finals, but still, this has been a really successful franchise. The Raptors have been in the mix for, what, five or six years? They were the one seed in the East last year. They've made a couple of conference finals runs, and now this run, and then, of course, Golden State is one of the great dynasties in recent memory. But to have these two teams playing each other, if you would have even suggested this 10 years ago or 20 years ago probably would have been laughed out of the room so in that way I think it's interesting I just we needed a change we last year Golden State Cleveland did absolutely nothing for me I know it was LeBron but you knew what that series result was going to be it was the fourth or fifth whatever year in a row that they had played it was stale it was there was nothing interesting about last year's NBA finals whereas even though I, I feel pretty firmly that the Warriors are going to win this series, this at least feels fresh and unique and somewhat interesting to me. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I The Raptors, to me, Derek, I don't know what it is about the Raptors. Is it the fact that they just – because I like the Blue Jays. When the Blue Jays won the World Series, I thought it was great. Really? It, I hate the Blue Jays for some reason. Really? Is that a weird team to hate? No, I mean, are they relevant enough to hate? <laughs> In, in the early in 1993, 80s, sure. I went to uh, Mrs. Kinnear's Cotillion. Did you ever have to go to Cotillion? Yeah, the I best. went to a junior Cotillion. Just the worst. Yeah. Terrible. I was nervous the whole time. It's just awful. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, I went to Mrs. Kinnear's Cotillion in 1985. The Blue Jays and Royals were playing in the ALCS, and I snuck in a Sony Walkman and had the earbud in so that I could hear because I was a huge Blue Jays fan. Jesse Barfield, Lloyd Mosby. I mean, I really wanted them to go to the World Series, and of course they didn't go. But then in the early 90s, they returned, and I loved it. So I look at it now, and I'm like, why is it that it feels to me like only half of, I, I don't know, it's like the NBA Finals feels like there's only one team in there represented because a Canadian team is there, which is weird. I shouldn't think yeah. that, but... They seem to really support them. They there. do. They get a huge. They wear they the a, shirts. They've got sellout crowds. They've no, got they have a huge celebrity endorsers. Um, so it, it seems to have really worked in Toronto. Even though that franchise is still only, well, I guess not even a quarter century old yet, right? Well, it's so funny because you know the, the Grizzlies just never. That never worked. Yeah, but that started somewhere else. I think at, at the very least, Toronto was there, and they, they've always stayed there, well, whereas the Grizzlies split. But I'm talking about the Vancouver Grizzlies. Oh, in Canada? I thought yeah, you just meant the no. Grizzlies in general. Yeah, haven't, no, the, haven't, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't it stick in Vancouver? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about Vancouver outside. It, apparently, it's beautiful, oh, right? Oh, it's gorgeous. Be- absolutely stunning. But big, uh, big drug problem in Vancouver. Really? Yeah. They have a huge needle problem. But it's a gorgeous city. Is it because there's nothing to do and no jobs? Um, it's because it's 
No, it's more so just because it's extremely – I mean, it's it's like Seattle or Portland, mm-hmm. so it's very liberal, and that's where the – so basically anybody from Canada that's just like in the party scene, like that's where they go, right? I mean, it's the, it's gotcha. the grunge capital of Canada. But they had an epidemic 10 or 15 years ago of opiates and everything else. I think they do a needle exchange program, but there is a, an area of downtown Vancouver – I think it's called Gas Town, maybe. Where, like, I mean, it's it's pretty, it's it's eye opening when you drive around. Yikes! Because yeah. Vermont has a serious has serious drug problems, but it's because there are no jobs, and I don't think anyone has anything to do. It's beautiful, it's scenic, it's mountainous, the whole deal, um, lakes and valleys. But it's kind of sad. I think Derek, in this series, you look at it, and because it's Golden State, and because of the ability that they have to, you know, offensively to get going, and who do you stop? And now all of a sudden, you know, if, if Cousins is back, and if Durant plays, and then you got Curry and Clay Thompson. I mean, they got so many weapons. But yet Toronto, like we talked about with Sean Devaney, does create some matchup problems for them. And to your point, is this one of those years? You know, you look at before Dwayne or before LeBron was there. I'm trying to think, did Dwayne Wade win a ring before LeBron came? Yeah, with Shaq yeah. in 06. Right. So that was a Dwayne Wade ring, right? Dirk Nowitzki managed to get a – I mean, he was a great player. It was his turn in the rotation. He carried his team to a title. Could this be that year for Kawhi Leonard? Could could Kawhi Leonard be a single title guy and this is the year? If he's never going to be, you know, a, a, a superstar – I'm sorry, I rephrase that. A power what, – what, what do they call them, the super teams – if he's never going to be a super team participant, is this it? Is this the one where five years from now we go, well, Kawhi Leonard did get a ring. I mean, he carried a team to a ring. I mean, that's possible. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I do think that you look at it and w- with what Toronto can bring to the table defensively, led by Kawhi, that's something that is intriguing because the Warriors are so hard to defend. But if there was a team that – could at least make a, a really good attempt at defending them. Toronto's probably that team. Uh, hey, Jake, this is from Paul the Mailman. Vermont probably has a serious drug problem because summer lasts 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it, too. Probably some truth to that. Mm-hmm. They get they get snow really up until, like, the middle portion of May. I, th- I think my father-in-law finally put his shovel away, like, two weeks ago. What is your uh, prediction for this series? Uh, I'll take the Warriors. I'll take them in six because generally when a team doesn't have home court, you take them in six, right? The Warriors had home court. I'd probably take them in five. But um, I think six is fair. I, my, my feeling on Toronto is that they are better than Portland and prob- maybe even or just slightly worse than Houston. And, and Houston was competitive in their series, and that was 2-2 at one point. So um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I do think that there are there are reasons to watch and storylines, and there are aspects of this series that are going to be entertaining, unlike last year. So at the very least, that's a good thing. But, you know, I read Zach Lowe today, who I love on ESPN, and he had the Warriors in seven and was talking about how this could turn into a classic series and – I just I, – I don't – I hope that happens. I'd love to see that happen, but I, I don't think that that is how this is going to go. Uh, this from our friend, by the way, in the Jack's Donuts Twitter inbox, Rule the Lake, King of the Lake. 
Uh, Jake, I'm also a Mrs. Kinnear graduate and indie legend. I loved it. Andy says, I did Mrs. Kinnear in the early 90s. Her studio is still going. My 12-year-old did it this winter. Exact same thing with punch and cookies. Do the girls still have to wear gloves? And then you learn the the cha-cha and the little box dance. I was not. Did you do the, the, the whole cotillion, like, manners and dance? It was, just, it was just a dance. We called it the junior cotillion, but it was just like a school dance. No, no, no. This is like a a finishing school. Oh, like manners and stuff? Yes. No. It was like every Wednesday from 8 no. to 9 for six weeks or I whatever. I picked up a girl named Shelby in my 1989 Honda Accord. And the first thing that she told me when she got in the car was after we took pictures and everything, um, I have a, a boyfriend. It's Tom from your geography class. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Really? That was the first thing when she got in the car. Tom, Did you know Tom? Yeah, I knew Tom. What was Tom like? Tall. What did Tom think of the fact that you were taking his girl out for a date? I didn't talk to Tom. He wasn't even there that night. How how did you end up taking her? It was him? a junior dance and she was a sophomore. But but why didn't Tom take her? I don't know why. He wasn't even at the dance. It was terrible. I, I have I have the worst track record. I would bet if you added up every person in the world, the worst school dance experiences. And I went to five school dances, and all five were terrible. Prom was horrible. Eighth grade, I threw up on myself, and my dad had to come pick me up. Um, j- just brutal. You learn, by the way, at Cotillion, table manners, proper instructions, etiquette, dance instructions, and parties. Really? Oh, yeah. God, you are old. It's still going, dude. Okay. It's now Mrs. Yeah. Belt's Cotillion. Now Formerly... It was just like a junior winter dance. We just happened to call it the junior cotillion. Here's the class description. At the beginning of each class, students receive a name tag and are asked to learn the names of new students. Parents wearing name tags greet the students as they enter class, and the students introduce themselves with their first and last name and a handshake. Students enter the class with a partner. The gentleman seats the partner and then stands on her left. Each gentleman brings his partner into the inner circle to learn a new dance step. He will thank his partner and move on to the next girl to his right. This will happen several times. As they leave class, students are again greeted by the parents, Students are to say thank you or good night, addressing them as Mr. or Mrs. Young men also learn how to tie a tie. Ladies learn how to sit properly. I still don't know how to tie a tie. Ladies are taught to wait for a gentleman to open the door or pull out her chair. I did open the door on my 89 Accord for Shelby. Okay. Was was Tom in the back seat? She told me all about Tom. (laughs) Before we even got out of the driveway, she told me about Tom. (laughs) Did she like Tom? Were you... They dated for a while. Did you get along with Tom? No, Tom was a jerk. I hated Tom. <laughs> what did Tom say to you when you got to school on Monday? So, how was the dance? So, <laughs> was it Tom or Crispy? This is the worst. <laughs> he also said sup like Crispy. He was like six okay. four. I hated him. I hate all tall people. I yeah, just okay. I can't stand them. The, the people that are six four give you just the worst PTSD. Every single person that I've interacted with at six four is terrible. Okay. Joe Sheehan is a nice short guy. He's going to talk baseball with us A next. nice short guy. Do you want to introduce him as One such? of us. <laughs> okay. Corey and Schultz, Fox Sports uh-huh. 97.5. Aquarian Schultz, presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. They're contractually obligated to follow each other on Twitter. You're listening to Query and Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. 
had flashbacks to that junior dance during that entire commercial break. Just the worst. That's good. So glad that that portion of my life is over. I just find it bizarre. Like, you didn't know. Did you? What was her name again? Shelby? Shelby, yeah. Did you have a crush on her or anything? Oh, yeah. I had a huge crush on her. I left flowers on her car. Uh, Valentine's Day. Do you think she, she was a hostess at Old Town Restaurant. And then she said, yes, I'll go to the junior dance with you. And I was super geeked up about it. Bought polo sport cologne. Oh, yeah. This Did was 1998, the, baby. What did you do with the duffel bag? 19, I got a basketball. <laughs> I got a, a blue and white polo sport uh-huh. basketball. Yeah, those are nice. And I pick her up in my 89 Honda Accord with the flip-up lights. I, I washed it. I waxed it. The whole deal. Oh, waxed it. Okay. Yep. And uh, she got in the car and she said, well, I'm starting to see Tom from your geography uh, class. Wax on, wax off? Uh, later that night, I had to. Okay. Joining us now on the Omnisource guest line. Sorry, that was gross. Uh, Joe Sheehan. Joe Sheehan newsletter. I don't know how to transition I'm out sure of that. Thrilled Joe. to be joining us on this program. I'm sorry about I will that. Be telling, I would be telling no similar story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a far more serious note, the Cubs and Astros had a game last night, and Almora Jr. hits a line drive into the stands. It, it ends up hitting a, a girl in the face. She ends up going to the hospital. I know you have a daughter, Joe. Um, really, it doesn't matter. I mean, sons, daughters, just any any kid, child, fan, adult people in the stands to get hurt it's always a scary moment is this finally the incident that pushes major league baseball over the edge to put netting around the entire field of play are we still going to have twitter debates about this uh four or five years from now well mlb would have to take the decision back from the teams uh you go back a few years and the league basically put it left it up to the teams when they wanted to do it you've seen some teams do it uh some teams not uh I will say that uh, I've moved on this issue, guys. I was at one point, ah, you know, it's netting. It's going to be in the way. You don't want to watch the game. And it's not so much having a daughter that did it, that you see the incidents, incidents that we've had. Um, Travis Sawchick of 538 made a great point today about there's many more foul balls than they used to be. And, of course, we know through you know the tracking data that every ball now is being hit harder than it used to be. So the danger to fans in the stands from just your average everyday foul ball is much much higher than it was 5, 10, 20, 100 years ago. Um, I dislike the argument that people should just, quote, pay attention because I'm not at a ball – well, I'm sometimes at a ball game to work, but you're at a ball game to relax, have a, have a beer, talk with your buddies, point things out to your kid. And expecting everybody in the potential range of a foul ball to be sitting at attention, that's not a leisure activity. That's a job. So basically, I don't think there's a good argument anymore for not having netting. Well, not only uh, that. Sorry, Jake, go ahead. No, Joe, what I was going to say is not only that, I went to a game this year. I mentioned it, mentioned it earlier. The first game that I've been to this year, the only game so far, MLB, I was at Dodger Stadium. They were playing the Brewers in April. And I was sitting first base line, and I think as far down as first base. I mean, I was basically directly up from first base itself, and the netting came all the way that far. I'm sorry, third base side, same thing. The netting was that far, and you literally don't notice it. I, I mean, it's almost like maybe if you got up really close to it, you would see there's netting there, but it's almost like it's invisible. I, it, you know what I mean? It's not. It isn't. At least to me, it is not an optical deterrent in any way, shape, or form. The way that your brain works, you end up just looking through it. Your eyes adjust pretty quickly. Yeah, it's also, crazy. Where are the most expensive seats in the stadium? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, by netting. That was the argument, and I want to say this was three or four years ago. Somebody made that point. It was like a light bulb went off for me. That was the argument that really did it. Like, wait a minute. If so many people are bothered by this, how come those seats aren't six ninety nine with a coupon for uh, Derek Stuffelbag? 
Joe Sheehan joins us with the Joe Sheehan newsletter. Uh, moving on on the field, uh, Mitch Keller, who we got to talk to down in Bradenton when we went down there with the Indians, got kicked around pretty good in his debut the other night, and you kind of it launched into a Twitter session with people about the Pirates and payroll, which I know we've talked about on this show, Joe, but why are fans still so defensive about not spending? Like, I was going through your mentions, and I, I couldn't believe what some of those Pirate fans were saying in, in defending ownership. It's a few things. Um, you have decades of mainstream media taking management side. Sporting news used to just be, you know, the mouthpiece for management. It's only really in the last, you start with um, Murray Chaff back in the 70s for the Times, kind of looking at the other side of it. Um, but, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, I think we've gotten better about reporting like, hey, you know, these guys aren't really giving you, showing you their books. They're all making money hand over this. Forbes comes out with something every year that says, hey, look, they're making good money. So I think the conversation about that has turned. But guys like me, you know, 20 years ago were saying, hey, look, this team has to manage its money well because, you know, the money that they're not spending on this bad signing could be used on this good signing. And the, the nature of the baseball business has changed such that that replacement uh, issue isn't an issue anymore. Every team has enough money to sign players. There's not an issue of if we make bad signing A, we can't make good signing B. And unfortunately, we did such a good job of kind of training fans to think a certain way. We've got to almost readjust them. The stat heads, the guys like me, have to say, hey, wait, actually, there's plenty of money. Teams can do whatever they want. Also, paying the point, the owners are rich. So I think there are a lot of reasons why fans actually believe this, and it's a matter of you know, feeding them better information. But it's going to take a generation or so to move guys off of, well, you know, they have to protect their budget to, hey, they're all really, really rich guys. They can afford this. Hey, Joe, are we seeing right now in late May – the ceiling of what we're going to see out of the Cincinnati Reds. You you asked me that a day after they got Shalak. worked by Stephen Brolt. Right. Um, I I I think they're better than this. I said I might have said it to you guys last week. I know I've seen a few hits that if I pick one team under five hundred right now that could get to ninety wins, it would be the Reds because their underlying numbers are actually excellent. Um, they just you know they haven't really performed to that level. Uh, the offense has been disappointing. I expect the offense to be better, but again, they got worked by Stephen Broad yesterday. So uh, I don't think this is a ceiling. I think they'll. I think they will eventually finish ahead of the Pirates. Uh, but it looks like it, because of that division, the difficulty of the schedule, you know, maybe 82, 83 wins might be where they top out. I think I had them at like 78 at the start of the year, but I didn't think the pitching was going to be anywhere is, near this good. If you look at their prospects, their payroll, their contracts, are the Reds, is the elevator going up or is the elevator going down? Oh, Jake, I misinterpreted the question. I thought you meant. Well, no, no, no. That's a different question. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you answered the first one, what I meant. But but just in terms of moving forward, like, is it like, hey, this is great. They're exceeding expectation, but this is what it's going to be for three to five years? Or are they in good position here to suddenly start becoming a player over the next two or three seasons? Uh, I like their core. Uh, you, the, core the core right now is Suarez, Senzel, Castillo. Uh, help me out here, guys. I mean, um, I mean, those are the big three right the there. Three, it's a three-man core. We'll see what else comes around. Jonathan India is coming up through the system. He's an infielder who can hit. Kind of, I'm blanking on some other other prospects. Uh, I think that's a competitive team. I think the biggest problem they have, and I know I come back to this a lot, is this division is just brutal. You could build a top-10 team and not make the playoffs. Uh, they're going to have a lot of money coming off the payroll this year. Remember a lot of those moves they made, Puig and Wood and those trades. Sonny, uh, Tanner Rourke, I want to say, is a free agent. They mm-hmm. signed Sonny Gray. 
they've got some money to play with this winter if they wanted to be a player for a Rendon or a Cole. And I think they might need one more player at that level. They might need one more five-wing guy to where you can really start to take them seriously. Rendon's obviously not a great fit with Suarez there. I don't think you're going to move him back to shortstop, but maybe you go out and you kind of, you know, you blow some money on a Garrett Cole to be the number one or the number two even behind Castillo and start to fill out the rest of the rotation. So, Jake, I guess my answer would be, I think there's potential here. I want to see what ownership does this particular winter because I think it's a key win for the team. Personally, I hope they lose every game, Joe, because Derek Dietrich staring down home runs like that, it's just I'm, I'm losing sleep at night over it. It's so upsetting to me. Just hate it. Never, we never solve this conversation. We have this conversation every year. I'd imagine <laughs> we were having it 25 years ago. And it just seems like it never goes away. Like, do we just age into these arguments? Like, if you get to us, like in, in two years when I turn 50, am I going to start complaining about guys posing at home plate? I really hope not. Yeah, I know. But it's, it just feels it's like sad. we never age out of this discussion. I don't get it. I just let the, let the, the Major League Baseball literally has a let the kids play campaign, and we're still having this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, I got to fit in the Yankees thing. I know that they had kind of a light schedule in May, but should I expect them to be contenders when they get more of their healthy bodies back? Is this level of play for them sustainable? I mean, they're playing 650 ball. I'm not sure they're that good a team, even healthy. Uh, obviously, having you know Judge and Stanton in the lineup instead of Tyro Estrada and Cameron Mabel will make a significant difference. So I think that there's a better team to be played. I think the real key for them is going to be the rotation. Now, they got Paxton back the other day. Uh, remember, he's had, a, he's had trouble getting through complete season. So you know, does he stay in the rotation the rest of the way? Luis Severino, they just don't have a replacement for him. Um, they've got to get him back in the second half. And at this point, that's probably the best they can hope for for him. On baseline talent, let's assume Severino doesn't pitch, but everybody else more or less comes back. I think on baseline talent, they're right there with the Red Sox. And, of course, they have a lead on the Red Sox. They'll play four games starting tonight in, New York, in the Bronx. Uh, so, But, no, I don't think even at baseline, if everybody's healthy, this is actually a 650-level team. I think I had them at 94 wins to start the season. Um, and getting all of this performance out of Voight and Urshela. I mean, I'm not a big Aaron Boone guy, but don't you have to look at him and say, this yeah. is one of the best managing performances we've seen in a long time. Uh, this is not, obviously, Yankee magic and developing players, but I, I, Gio Urshela was a glove guy for the Indians who couldn't hit, and he's been a really key guy for them for six weeks. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the first week of May before they started getting, you know, Hicks and guys like that back, I mean, that was like a Scranton-Wilkesbury lineup that they had out there, and they were still f- somehow finding a way to win games. What's new? Oh, we were the- making jokes like at the bottom. Where's the other half of the split squad playing? Yeah. <laughs> What's new in the newsletter, man? I was wondering thing today about uh, bullpens this year have been terrible. I was trying to figure out why. Is there some reason why bullpens have been worse? And it's kind of a meandering thing. I also wrote about... Uh, Ryan Stanek, the opener for the Rays, possibly kind of breaking some pitching numbers uh, uh, later this year. I wrote about the Twins last week. Uh, I wrote about the Mets last week. Um, that time of year, we start to take teams seriously and kind of do more team-centric con- uh, content. Write about, hey, is this real? What are we seeing? At Joe underscore Sheehan on Twitter, JoeSheehan.com for the newsletter and more. Thanks, man. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Our guy, Joe Sheehan. Yankees and Red Sox tonight, Jake. I know you're excited. Yeah. The world must stop. Every game, five and a half hours long. Did you long. hear who Joe said he's been writing about besides just the Twins? Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. They How gave up four it? runs in the ninth last night. I got beat. Guaranteed to have the time of your life, Derek. They were up 8-5 in the ninth and blew it. Good old Mets.
When the Mets were at their heyday in 86, do you think if you walked like through Manhattan or like through the financial district, you would have known the Mets were really good? Uh, I was too young, but I'll say, you know, when I was growing up in the very late 80s and early 90s, the Yankees were terrible for the most part. And the Mets were exiting that era because the Mets had a lot of good teams. They only won one title, but they had a lot. The 88 team was a great team. Um, and, you know, Gooden and Strawberry, and they had a, a lot of guys that were star players. But um, it was kind of an equal split. And then when I got, by the time I got into high school, when the Yankees started getting into a dynasty, it felt like it was far more Yankee fans than Mets fans. But there was a, a time there where the Mets had a little bit of cachet. I don't know if they were ever. Uh, nor will they ever be. You know, this is kind of the topic in in all cities that have two major teams. Like the White Sox will never have the cachet that the Cubs will. They just won't. Uh, the White Sox could win five straight World Series, and it'll it'll still be a Cubs town. New York's probably that way with the Yankees too. Even though there is a huge White Sox fan base, there's a huge Mets fan base. It's just they're they're always going to be kind of the the step brother in town. I didn't realize, Derek, I mentioned the Dodgers. Uh, there was a 79-year-old woman that was, let's see when this was. Yeah, the end of last season. Yeah, that was that, killed. That died, yeah. She That's died terrible. a couple of days later. Correct, four days got, later. She got hit in the head. Um, there was a woman who got hit behind home plate where she was moving to her seat, so she was up against the net and you know the net has some give. It's not just a. Right. It's not a. It's a net, and so the ball hit the net, and went in, and then hit her in the back of the head. I think that was also in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I had no idea that uh, a, a year or two ago. Life in Dodger Stadium. And then there's been a ton of these at Yankee Stadium where people have gotten hit. Somebody got hit with a broken bat um, a couple of years ago. Todd Frazier hit a line drive into the stands that injured somebody. They had to go to the hospital when he was with the Yankees. Uh, did you get a hold of Clyde? I did. Yeah, this is this is your guy. So you would have briefly worked with him, correct? Yeah, I was more just, you know, kind of a, a major underling to him. But yes, not him. Actually, I was more in the sports department. But Clyde Lee was the news anchor at Channel Six from '76 to 2001. He is a an iconic figure among television personalities in Indianapolis. He now owns and runs a PR and media agency with his wife, Dion Willis, who was his co-anchor at Channel 6. They are hosting tonight at 7 o'clock, Derek, uh, a retrospective of four, or, uh, excuse me, 70 years, 70 years of on the air in Indianapolis. And Clyde's going to host that tonight. They have a reception coming up here in a couple of hours, but um, – I asked him to come on today to talk about that and just kind of take a look back at that, and we're going to do that next, right? Derek's not even listening to me. Doesn't even have his headsets on. He's giving me a thumb up. What does the thumb up mean? It means taking a break. I just did. You're supposed you're, to. Push you're a asking button. me questions about things. You're supposed to push a button. I'm I'm trying to get the podcast thing going. So, okay. Just say you know it's this is Quarian Schultz, Fox Sports nine seven five. Clyde Lee's going to join us next, and I'm sure thrilled with the smooth operation of this broadcast. Nothing like having an iconic, legendary broadcaster celebrating a 70-year anniversary of his television station and then coming on this dog and pony show where we can't even take it to break.
You're supposed to push a button. You don't have your headsets on. <laughs> now your mic's not on. I instructed you what to do. You have to say Quarian Schultz, Fox Sports 975. You didn't have your mic on or your headsets. Will you just say the name of the show and then the name of the station, and then I can press the button? It appears the Rockets losing fuel. Okay, just forget it. <laughs> 